Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Jonathan Simon. He is the author of a provocative and well-researched new book called Code Red, Computerized Election Theft and the New American Century. Jonathan Simon serves as executive director of Election Defense Alliance. Go to electiondefensealliance.org. This is a nonprofit organization founded in 2006 to restore observable vote counting and electoral integrity as the basis of American democracy. Uh, In addition to Code Red, Dr. Simon has published individually and in collaboration numerous papers related to various aspects of election forensics and election integrity. And the Code Red website is codered2016.com. Jonathan Simon, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Uh, Great to have you on. Uh, Endless, endless problems and disasters, uh, predictable and otherwise related to the recent U.S. election. Uh, One of the the least talked about and when talked about, least informedly talked about aspects uh, is that of how the votes get counted by the machines. what uh, what problem do you do you analyze here in the in the recent election? Yeah, the key overview here, uh, David, is that they get counted unobservably. I mean, that, they get counted in various different ways. There's some touchscreen machines, there's some optical scan machines, but they're basically uh, 98% of the votes are counted by computer. Um, and uh, you know, when you put your ballot into a, uh, a ballot reader, an op scan, that is a computer. There's a memory card in there with over 500,000 lines of code on it. So um, the reality is that the programmers really have um, you know, carte blanche in terms of how to program them. There's, there's, there's no um, real verification process, uh, certainly no adequate verification process. So we basically have an unobservable counting system, and this comes into focus uh, periodically and generally every four years around presidential elections, sometimes, you know, sharper focus than others. This is what we, uh, you know, refer to as the big one. Uh, it was obviously, a, you know, a critical election, and there was... Uh, tremendous amount of concern, um, ironically raised by, you know, Donald Trump for the most part, um, but also about hacking um, and uh, rigging and all sorts of um, things that you can't trust about the counting system. Um, And uh, the election itself, uh, from our preliminary forensics, uh, lived up to its billing, and uh, in fact, uh, there are red flags all over the place. And and this is a choice, right, to have votes counted inside machines where they can never be verified or observed or recounted or double-checked. There are countries and states and localities that uh, that hand-count paper ballots in front of all uh, interested parties and can redo so innumerable times if if desired, right? I mean, this is a perfectly available option. Yes, that's true. And, and several of those countries, some of the major ones like Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, um, they actually went back to hand counting when they recognized uh, that computer counting, although uh, it held out the promises of convenience and being very entertaining because you could go home and the results would be in by 10 o'clock and you could listen to all the pundits talk about it and all the blue and red blinking states and, uh, you know, go to bed uh, early enough by, by 11 o'clock and go to work the next morning. Um, you know, for all the entertainment and convenience value, uh, they just could not be trusted. And these countries recognized that and uh, took 
took very aggressive action. Um, so yes, it is a choice. Uh, it was also something along the lines of date rape. I mean, uh, you know, the computers just sort of went in uh, while everybody was asleep uh, in the aftermath of the uh, debacle in, in 2000. Uh, the Help America Vote Act was passed uh, in 2002, and it basically offered carrots and sticks for states to very rapidly computerize. So our elections became computerized. Uh, there was no real uh, public debate about it, no real choice. Um, it was something that was put forward by the Republicans, and they sold it uh, to, uh, a, I believe, a fairly naive Democratic leadership, John Conyers et al., um, on the idea that it would increase turnout. And, uh, in fact, it may increase turnout, but uh, you're left with the Joseph Stalin problem uh, that it's not who votes that counts, it's who counts the votes. Um, and the vote counting has been handed over, privatized, outsourced, um, to a handful of uh, rather uh, uh, secretive corporations. Uh, m most of them have uh, very strong right-wing ties. Um, and uh, basically everything they do is protected, privatized, proprietary. You can't uh, see the code. You can't see uh, the memory cards. Um, and you can't even see the voter-marked ballots once they go into the optical scan machines. So it's all happening in the dark. It's in the darkness of cyberspace. And from a forensic standpoint, you know, we try to, uh, to check on that as well as we can using um, uh, whatever uh, data is available. And, you know, in this case so far, exit polls, um, analyses of voting uh, patterns, comparison with hand counts, previous elections, looking for anomalies. Um, and, you know, we've gotten fairly good at detecting red flags, but fairly good isn't good enough. I mean, we're asked to produce a smoking gun. Um, and uh, smoking gun would be things like the memory cards or the actual ballots and serious recounts. That's what we're looking to do now in this election is to go into some of these states where there are big shifts from the exit polls, where the, the vote um, you know, may or may not be legitimate. Uh, we haven't proven it yet. Uh, but we want to actually go in there before they disappear, before they can get swapped out, um, and actually uh, look at the ballots and count them up and compare them with the computer totals um, and see if we have a problem, Houston. Um, there was certainly a problem with voter suppression. I mean, we know that. Those are the overt methods of keeping people away from the polls, uh, reducing polling hours, making, you know, polls uh, distant uh, from those who don't have automotive transportation. I mean, it's, a, it, it, it's pretty, you know, that's, that's not news. Um, that's been a, a strategy uh, of the right wing uh, for a long time. Um, they've gotten better at it with the use of big data. So the voter suppression alone uh, could have turned not just the presidential election, but many of the down-ballot elections. Right. But we're looking beyond that. We're looking to see what happened within those machines with an eye to not necessarily, I mean, in this case, <laughs> we do want to overturn the election, but really the, the, the deeper and longer game here is to restore an observable vote counting system, um, as these other countries have done, uh, so that we can actually have trust in our elections. I mean, clearly trust was was lacking going into this election. Now, of course, you know, the winners, um, Trump, uh, ostensible winners, are, are full of trust because winners like to win, uh, and they don't want to question a system that has uh, put them in office. And if you think about it, every seated politician is there because they won an election. Um, so they're not particularly excited about questioning the system that put them in office. This is a major problem uh, from the standpoint of the public um, and uh, what our rights are 
and what our duties are to democracy, and uh, this right. is something that we have to address. Is, isn't it a major problem regardless, and I want to get into this in a minute, but regardless of any evidence that a particular election uh, or vote was impacted, isn't it a problem just to have it be completely unverifiable? Doesn't that allow someone like Donald Trump to claim that the election is rigged or people to tell each other to try to vote multiple times because it's rigged against our side? Or for the Democrats to and, and members of the corporate media, as they were doing bizarrely a few months ago, suggest that the president of Russia is going to hack in and, and rig the system because it's completely unverifiable. I mean, uh, aren't those problems that exist just because the system is the way it is, uh, regardless of whether every, you know, every election is, is perfectly accurately counted? I couldn't have stated that better. I mean, that's what we've really pivoted to. I mean, I do election forensics. I've been doing it for 15 years. That's how I got, you know, start my start in this. But in Code Red, you know, the 2016 edition, there's a subtle pivot towards saying, look, what we really need to talk about here is risk, um, not proof. And the risk is inherently insane. And what the effects, and they were quite predictable, and they're in the book. I mean, I predict, predicted them essentially years ahead of time, um, is that the, the trust in the system breaks down. And, and the trust in the voting and vote counting system then also spills over into a uh, sort of evaporation of trust in the political system as a whole. So we're seeing a general breakdown uh, of trust all around. We also believe that, if in fact we're correct, that uh, a whole series of elections have been shifted. Um, that includes, you know, down-ballot elections, state houses, House, uh, Senate elections, uh, even judgeships. Um, that that has a very weird and distorting impact on the political system, and it's one of the things that has led to the hyperpolarization. It's a bit of a complex argument. Um, it is in the book, and. Uh, you know, so a lot of what we're seeing that we're now decrying um, and we're, you know, scratching our heads, the New York Times or the Washington Post are scratching their collective heads, trying to figure out, you know, how we've lost um, the ability to communicate and cooperate, how it's become so hyperpolarized. If you look at it from a systems analysis standpoint, messing with the feedback mechanism, the approval feedback mechanism that is what a representative democracy has, the people every couple of years get to weigh in, well, distorting that and messing with that changes the entire political dynamic, and you wind up with something that's very dysfunctional, and we're seeing... Yeah, obvious evidence of that. But I don't think, Jonathan, that you're going to find a lot of people arguing that stealing elections is a bad thing with horrendous consequences. What you're going to find is people arguing that any elections have been stolen. Uh, And I wonder if you could, for a minute, explain to us what evidence is suggested by exit polls, how they are different from regular polls, and and how how accurate they are. Yeah, exit polls um, are polls taken of actual voters uh, leaving the polling place so you don't have the issue of, okay, we polled somebody and they said they'd vote for so-and-so and and then they didn't go vote. Um, So you have actual voters, and this includes uh, early voters and absentee voters. They now realize they have to reach out to them uh, by phone and whatnot. And that, you know, they're professionals. They know what they're doing. Um, And in most countries uh, around the world, exit polls are, are relied on as, as, as sort of the first indicator uh, of uh, an honest versus a fraudulent election. 
Um, in the United States, there has been a pervasive uh, shift in the in the exit polls. We call it the red shift. Uh, you'll see vote counts coming out to the right of, uh, of of exit poll results very consistently, election after election, and that includes the primaries. For instance, a primary like uh, Sanders and Clinton, where you'd look at you know Sanders as the more progressive candidate and. Boom, the exit polls uh, were all uh, favoring Sanders, and the vote counts then shifted over to Clinton. Um, we see this pattern just so pervasively. When we do analysis, if we're, uh, you know, uh, approach it uh, conscientiously, uh, which I do and most of my colleagues do, uh, we're not looking for spectacular headlines. We're trying to establish, uh, is this baseline, are these exit polls valid? And to do that, we have a number of different techniques. Um, again, it's, it's in the book. It's a bit eye glazing to, to to talk about it now, but um, we try to validate these baselines. You know, in terms of did the exit polls oversample Democrats? Did they oversample people of color? Did they oversample young people or old people or undersample uh, you know white people or undersample rich people? And we try to validate the baseline. And once we're able to validate the baseline using other measures, then we have a pretty good idea of whether that exit poll is telling us something that is um, actionable, you know, that we can look at and say, okay, this is probably telling us the truth. That having been said, and, and, and the exit polls for 2016 were egregious. Uh, there was a huge redshift from Clinton to Trump um, and also in Senate races um, all, all the way down and uh, particularly focused and concentrated into the battleground states. Um, so having looked at that, you know, it's prima facie evidence, it's preliminary evidence that, well, maybe something's wrong here. As a next step, we know that neither exit polls nor vote counts are self-verifying measures. So in effect, they're, they're two uh, separate independent measures, neither one of which um, is, is, uh, is, 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 fully and obviously and openly and publicly trustworthy. So if you want to, you know, say about the exit polls, well, how do we know they're accurate? I would just turn right around and say to you about the vote counts. Well, how do you know they're accurate? Yeah, and the but problem how, is but that how do neither we... one of us can say, yes, we know they're accurate. Okay, but, but were the exit polls, Jonathan, were the exit polls accurate before the year 2000, 2002, were, were, were exit polls lacking? Was there, was there no red shift before computers? You know, I, I want to say there was no red shift before computers, and I think I would be overstating the case, because frankly, in those days, we didn't do election forensics. And, you know, so what we see historically is we see exit polls that matched vote counts very well. But we're not sure whether those exit polls match the vote counts because they were adjusted to match the vote counts the way all exit polls are today. I mean, if you go on CNN right now and you look up the exit polls, you'll see that they match the vote counts. That's because they are tweaked and manipulated as the vote counts come in to match the vote counts. This is because the exit pollsters and the networks that pay for their work um, don't believe that exit polls are a verification mechanism at all. They think they're an aid to academic analysis of uh, what subgroups of the electorate were thinking. Um, a very useful function, but they're saying that, you know, because exit polls don't, uh, don't, don't function as 
verifiers of the election. Therefore, we're just going to make them match the vote counts because we believe the vote counts are accurate. They're gospel truth. And therefore, if the exit polls were off from the vote counts, that's going to make them of dubious value in doing this academic analysis of all these various subgroups and what they were thinking. I mean, this kind of, this kind of thinking is very, very frustrating because it leaves you saying, well, then what is supposed to verify the vote counts? Um, you know, this is one of the few tools we have. There are others, but they, they all are rather indirect. And, and, and isn't so this one used at one time just to, to sort of, sort of round off that question? Um, historically, they look as if they were matching very, very well uh, up until the advent of computers, and then they just sort of went off the rails. And since then, there's just been this pervasive uh, redshift. Is the term that I actually coined. Um, and we haven't seen it go away. Jonathan, aren't exit polls still relied upon in looking at elections in other countries, including by U.S. government observers of elections in other countries? Absolutely. If this election had happened in the Ukraine or Uzbekistan or Kenya or whatever, our government would be all over it. We'd be in there demanding a redo. We'd be in there demand, you know, doing all sorts of investigations, claiming that it was rigged, unless, of course, our guy won. You know, the guy we were supporting won. I mean, politics is, uh, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, altruism or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, sheer theory there. It, it, if our guy lost, whoever, we, you know, the U.S. was, was uh, backing, lost, and it was this kind of election, we'd be all over it. And yes, uh, we are being told that, oh, that's because exit polls in these countries are run differently, um, you know, and they sample differently. And that's a bunch of crap, um, flat out. And, uh, you know, the exit polls are run quite competently here, and they deliver a lot of information here. And as I said, if they had uh, delivered this kind of information, these kind of percentages, state after state, um, battleground states that absolutely would have reversed uh, the outcome of the presidential election and the control of the Senate, um, it, we, would, we would be in there. We would be in there, we'd be demanding the United Nations get in there, et cetera, et cetera. And for that matter, you know, given his pre-election uh, position, if this election, if these numbers were reversed um, and Trump had been on the short end of this particular stick, I don't think uh, we'd be moving on at this point. I think there would be, you know, a, a hundred million gun march on Washington um, to right. uh, to say this election was uh, was fraudulent and needed to be investigated. So there's a kind of, uh, you know, non-equivalence between the positions taken, uh, you know, by somebody like Trump and by by the aggressive, uh, you know, party here, um, and those rest of us who just sort of you know, go about wringing our hands and saying, oh, well. And this time around, I think, uh, you know, I, I think uh, there's some signs that people are not saying, oh, well. And it's not just protests in the streets, but it's a lot of legal action, and it's a lot of determination to say, we need to go in there, we need to go into Wisconsin, and Ohio, and Florida, and Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, and actually count some ballots, actual ballots, and see whether it adds up. If it adds up, and he won, and it was just voter suppression, and there's not much that, you know, maybe can be done about that, 
then it's time for oh well then it's time for okay we go back and you know and take it from there and figure out how to change the the course of history going forward but we want to make sure that if this is going to be the course of history and when i say we i'm talking about you know i would say not just my election integrity colleagues but millions and millions of people want to make sure that before this is the course of history that's being set here we know that it wasn't just some damn cheap trick yeah, well, we already know that it was many damn cheap tricks and that the election system needs to be reformed in numerous ways, uh, including the communication system, including the financing of the elections, including the the registration, and, and, and on and on and on. Uh, but it, it, it seems like in the case of the Democratic primary, uh, where the Democratic Party cheated itself out of a stronger candidate by all measures uh, and chose a weaker candidate for the general election, you have email after email of people rather openly talking about getting their chosen candidate debate questions ahead of time, trying to get the their you know the candidate they don't like accused of being an atheist or a Jew or this or that. I mean, just all sorts of techniques of cheating, of, of rigging that election, uh, it, which could be taken as evidence, well, these people would also manipulate machine counts. But not a word about that in any of those emails, uh, which could be taken as evidence that no, actually, they didn't use that type of cheating. Which, you know, where, which way does the evidence lean there? Yeah, I mean, there is a fine line between cheating and cheating. And, you know, we know that a lot of what, you know, we look at and say, hmm, that's not very savory, is really just rough and tumble politics. I mean, you get whatever advantage you can. Look, these are the highest stakes games there are. If you want to look at the Tour de France, if you want to look at Major League Baseball, if you want to look at any, basically any sport, if you want to look at the finance industry, if you want to look at Volkswagen, I mean, where the stakes are high, uh, there is great incentive to, and, and you know, especially when nobody's looking, uh, there's a great incentive to, to palm a card and, and cheat. And we have political operatives on the scene from Karl Rove on down who we don't actually look at and say, hmm, you know, there's a person with really high ethical standards who wouldn't, wouldn't succumb to this temptation. Um, and there are people like that in the Democratic Party as well, all through politics. So there are things that are going to be done um, that we're going to look at and say that's not right. And uh, what happened in the Democratic primaries, again, is still not clear because we can't actually count the votes. What we did see is we saw a completely different set of results from the caucus races uh, where votes were counted observably, basically by hand. Um, you know, the last uh, 12 caucuses uh, after the first two, which were very, very narrow, and once the campaign really got rolling, Sanders' campaign, um, the last 12 caucuses, he won by an average margin of 36.6%. Um, these were, you know, bigger than landslides. These were absolute routes uh, where the votes were counted observably. And yes, there were other factors there. It's a different set of voters from the, uh, you know, caucuses from primary voters, etc. But it's very hard to account for that kind of spread. And then in the primaries, we saw, you know, election after election, the same shift from uh, Trump. Uh, I mean, Trump, from Sanders to Clinton. And at the same time, in the Republican primary, same polling firm, same methodology, same pollsters at the same precincts on the same day with the same weather, were pretty much spot on up and down the Republican primaries and way off in the Democratic primaries. Yeah. One could always come up with 
quote, benign explanations. Well, there was an enthusiasm gap, and Sanders voters were more likely to answer uh, than Clinton voters, and the exit pollsters missed it. You know, you, you, can, you can propose these things, and uh, it's very hard to disprove them or prove them either way. Problem is, we just don't know. And there is every sign. And, you know, and some of the stuff that circulated from the emails, these comments about oversampling and stuff, those are red herrings. Um, that that is not, oversampling is not about cheating the polls or anything like that. It's a long explanation. But that, you know, as, as a former pollster, I can tell you that was benign. But we really don't know. It's not just the Clinton campaign that had an interest in knocking out Sanders. There are a lot of bad actors out there um, on both sides as far as parties go and, uh, you know, all through the system who looked at Sanders in all likelihood as somebody who had to be stopped. This guy is actually dangerous, you know, to the corporate establishment, et cetera, et cetera. Whether that's true or not, that's the per- that was the perception uh, of him. So, it's you know, if, if it was rigged to benefit... Clinton, that doesn't necessarily indicate that it was rigged by Clinton or her campaign. This system is a wide-open invitation to anybody who can get inside access, and now we know to some extent as well outside access through the hacking process. It, it seems to me, we have just a few minutes left, that you know people are widely aware and accepting in the United States that politicians frequently lie uh, about wars, about tax plans, about health plans, about their sex scandals, about climate change, about what they told Goldman Sachs in a private meeting, about who controls them by funding them, and so forth. Uh, but there's a great deal of reluctance to believe that politicians would lie about this. Um, and, and and the Democratic Party, of course, does not go into outrage resistance mode over an election that's apparently stolen by vote suppression either, or by a Supreme Court ruling either. Um, so there may be just reluctance to, to question election results at all. But how do you explain the, the acceptance of, of a system that's completely unverifiable? Um. Yeah, I devote a fair amount of, uh, of page, pages to that in Code Red because it's a real poser. Um, you know, I ask about the Democrats. I ask about the media. Uh, I ask about even election administrators. And I don't have a, one neat uh, answer that you could tie up in a bow. But I have to say, I mean, we are the beacon of democracy, quote-unquote. And a big part of our self-esteem uh, is this idea that we do democracy right, we're the first, we're the longest, the oldest, um, and uh, the mere idea, and you know, and much about of America has taken a beating, since, certainly since Vietnam, um, you know, coming, coming after, after World War II, and, you know, sort of being downhill from there. Um, and there is, you know, we are a society uh, of uh, a, a fair amount of, um, uh, it, it's not a particularly communal society. It's a very, very, uh, you know, self, uh, self-oriented uh, society. It, 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 it's a very uh, rugged individualism with, uh, with, with capitalism, uh, you know, uh, and a cherry on top. And uh, because of that, we like to imagine that everything's hunky-dory, you know, because we, we feel the, the degree of, of competition. We feel the degree of conflict that we have, and we want to pull together this idea of America the beautiful. So it's a very hard idea to shake that everything is okay with our elections. And all this, all this you know, trust in the system, um, it becomes a real obstacle to rationality and, and to serious investigation. And those of us who are bringing that forward 
you know, from the standpoint of the gatekeepers, not just of the right, but especially of the left, um, we we are troublemakers. And the frustration that we experience, you know, I mean, you've gone back a long way with this. I've gone back a way, you know, a long way, 15 years or so uh, of banging your head against the spiked wall. Um, It is time for the public, the people, and we say this, you know, all the time, but it's becoming, you know, I would say more sharp and more in focus. Ten seconds. um, to, To assert their rights and to accept their duties in a democracy. If we're not willing to be vote counters, if we're not willing to be more participant uh, in democracy, then we kind of deserve the, the mess that, we, that we're going to get. Jonathan Simon, very well said. CodeRed2016.com. Thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thanks very much, David. Take care. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.